Hello, this is Manny Ramos, your host of Rise Up, Real Issues and Stories of Every One of Us podcast. First, let me talk about who we are. I'm Manny Ramos, a board member of PNAA, a past president of the Philippine Nurses Association of Central Florida. I'm a professor of nursing at Valencia College in Orlando and an adjunct faculty at William Patterson University. With me today is my co-host, Mindy Ofiana. Mindy? Thank you, Manny. Welcome, everyone. I'm Mindy Ofiana, Legislative Committee Chair of PNAA and a Corresponding Secretary for PNAA Foundation and a past president of PNA Southern California and an adjunct professor at Charles R. Drew University, Department of Medicine and Sciences. <laughs> Our guest tonight is Dr. Marlon Garzo Saria. He's a regional vice president of the Philippine Nurses Association of America, overseeing operations in the Western region comprised of 16 chapters and two sub-chapters with over 800 members. He's a nurse scientist and a director of professional practice of Providence St. John's Health Center. Marlon is also an assistant professor at St. John Cancer Institute and Pacific Neuroscience Institute in California. He extends influence by developing and implementing nursing practice and protocol standards, providing nursing expertise and input into formulating departmental policies, participating in strategic planning, and establishing an evidence-based practice expectation and focus for professional nursing practice. He serves as a deputy chief nurse for the 452nd Aeromedical Staging Squadron, U.S. Air Force Reserve, overseeing training, employment, and standards of practice for nurses and medical technicians. Dr. Saria is a thought leader in professional, in professional, military, community, and education settings, saving served in leadership roles in professional organizations and multi-professional <laughs> military services and social, civic, political organizations. Through diverse clinical and leadership experiences nationally and internationally, he has made significant contributions to professional, community, and academic environments to advance patient care, create innovative work environments, promote scholarship in practitioners, and develops leaders. He is an advanced oncology clinical nurse specialist and a nurse professional development board certified. He's also a fellow at the American Academy of Nursing. Good afternoon, Dr. Saria Marlon. Welcome to Rise Up. Good afternoon, Mindy and Manny. Thank you for having me. Really, really happy to be here tonight. <clears throat> nice to see you, Marlon. How are you? <laughs> I am well. Uh, it's a little busy. I'm sure everyone is. Uh, uh, so just just a lot of things going on at the same time. Uh, you know, we had that two years with the pandemic, and I think we're all catching up yeah. uh, on the work that uh, important work uh, that we didn't do while we were facing uh, the pandemic the past two years. We still are facing the That's pandemic, right. but it's just a lot of work. That's right. Well, we're yeah. so glad to have you here, and we're excited to... Uh, talk with uh, what you do and know a little bit more about you. And I want to share to our, uh, I want to start our conversation by having you share with our audience 
your background. Please tell us something about yourself, where you grew up, and of course, your journey into the United States. Wow, that probably will take the entire hour, <laughs> so I'll try to cut it really short. Um, most of us have, have our life stories, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but I'll be brief. So I was born and raised in, in Paranaque in the Philippines. Uh, my mom is from Bacolod. My dad is from Cavite City. Uh, and then they met in Baclaran. Uh -huh. uh, a lot of folks who actually lived uh, in the Philippines know Baclaran as uh, you know, the place where the national shrine uh, of the Mother Perpetual Help is. Yes. Uh, so I was a stone throws away from, from that church. And then that was the church where you know, every Wednesday my mom and I would go. Oh, I'll jump right straight into going to the U.S. Uh, my grandfather was here. He was a veteran of World War II, oh. uh, survivor of the Bataan Death March. Uh, that's what actually was able to bring him here. Oh. Uh, and he petitioned my father. Uh, so my father, my mother, and I came here. I actually wanted to stay back home in the Philippines. I did not want to come oh. here oh. at that time because you know how it is in the Philippines, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have a lot of friends. Yeah. Uh, uh, you just want to hang out with them. I didn't really want to grow up. <laughs> I'd rather just stay home and then hang out with friends. Uh, but I'm glad I did because uh -huh. uh, coming here changed my life, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, it changed my life and, and uh, gave me uh, meaning mm -hmm. uh, to my life and something to, to live for. Uh, and, and that's through nursing and that's through the military and everything else that Mindy mentioned <laughs> during the introduction uh, that gave me a reason to live. Right. Uh, yeah. Cool. Well, oh, that's nice to hear. Anyway, as a nurse scientist, especially in the field of oncology, research studies or clinical trials are an essential part of cancer treatment. What are clinical trials? Uh, clinical trials. So, you know, I, I have an answer, right? Uh, clinical trials, research, we have an answer. We have money and I... Uh, we, we teach students, so we have that textbook response to what research is, generalizable knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, but but can I ask you, uh, there are no wrong answers. <laughs> so if I ask Manny and Mindy, like, what are clinical trials to you? And I'll go from there. If you just humor me for a minute. <laughs> they are, what do you think are clinical trials? They are research studies to determine if a mm -hmm. treatment is working. Mm -hmm. a, okay. A treatment or a medication. Right. Yeah. That's 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 uh, that's what I wanted to to emphasize. Yeah. If you ask a lot of people about clinical trials, their idea of a clinical trial is a drug study, mm -hmm. right? So really, clinical trials are are more formal investigations into interventions. Uh, I think we have mostly a nursing audience, so they would get this. If if we have more uh, public audience attending this, uh, then could be. Uh, it probably will we'll, we'll need to say it differently but since we have a lot of nurses yeah. uh, it's it's really a formal investigation into interventions and the interventions does not necessarily need to be medications mm -hmm. uh, but that is the first thing we always think about when we think of clinical trials right. it's drug trials <laughs> drug experiments right uh, uh looking at uh investigational drugs that have not been approved by the FDA yet sounds familiar <laughs> vaccines <laughs> uh, that's right right so so that's that's what uh, the general public thinks but clinical trials release a broad range of 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 studies uh that does not only look at treatment or treating a disease uh you know we have clinical trials that look at how do we prevent disease? Mm -hmm. right. you know, what are the vitamins that we need to take? What kinds of exercises? How long? How often? Uh, 
So, so those are all considered in the realm of clinical trials. We have diagnostic treatments. Is an x-ray better than MRI? Or maybe I said that the other way around. Is an MRI better than an x-ray? Yeah. We know that an MRI is more expensive. Uh, x-ray is less expensive. But there are risks inherent to those uh, to those uh, 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 imaging <laughs> uh, technologies. Uh, there are clinical trials looking at survival, quality of life, side effects to drugs. So, so clinical trials really broad, and it's not just looking at one drug and seeing mm-hmm. if this drug is effective for us. Right. Well, so Marlon, our audiences may ask, well, what is the value of conducting clinical trials? So, uh, value of clinical trials. Yes. Do you know anyone who was diagnosed with cancer and is still alive today? Yeah. Do you know anyone who was diagnosed with a stage four cancer and still alive today? Hmm. May not be personal that you know, but that there's one celebrity that I know of who has a bike. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yes, <laughs> yellow bike. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so if you look at the outcomes that we have, let me know, Mindy. <laughs> uh, Tour de France. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. Uh huh. So, so. Uh, you know, the, the, the survivors, the rates of survivors that we have, and, and pardon me, like most of my examples will be related to cancer, obviously, because mm-hmm. that's my specialty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but clinical trials exist in other specialties as well. Uh, but but the, the, the increase in survivors and the increase in outcomes, better outcomes that we're seeing right now, it's all because of clinical trials. And like I said, it's not just because of the drugs, mm-hmm. uh, but everything else that we do clinical trials with, including disease prevention, uh, symptom management, uh, and, and uh, anything in that uh, disease trajectory uh, that we share with our patients or tell our patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's importance of clinical trials. Uh, I'll throw some numbers. Some of them may not be accurate. Let me just say that because I don't know the numbers offhand. Uh, but it should be fairly close. Mm-hmm. Uh, 80% of pediatric patients are surviving leukemias. You know, back in uh, the 1950s, 1960s, that number was maybe 50, 60%. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've increased that to, to 80%, maybe even pushing up to 90, higher, lower 90s mm-hmm. uh, in terms of survival. Uh, and that because is because of clinical trials that we have done in pediatric patients, uh, that they're surviving longer into adulthood, actually. Uh, nice. Breast cancer rates uh, were at 90% uh, uh, five-year survival, right. over 90%, maybe even pushing up closer to almost 100 uh, in terms of five-year survival rate, again, because of, of clinical trials. Uh, I mentioned uh, two... I'm going to call them diseases, but two conditions, Mm -hmm. pediatrics Mm -hmm. and breast cancer, uh, that we really have uh, really improved our outcomes on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and might you know why? Why? Because of clinical trials. Those are the two conditions that we have a clinical trials on. Mm -hmm. Pediatric cancer is because most of the kids that get cancer go to pediatric hospitals, Mm -hmm. children's hospitals, right? And those children's hospitals will host the clinical trials. So a vast majority of them are actually invited or offered to participate in the clinical trial. Mm -hmm. Breast cancer, because, and and I apologize, and I hope that this will not be taken out of context, because women are loud, (laughs) right? And, 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 Women are loud. They know how to advocate for themselves. Uh, I am not going to be political right now, but 
but uh, and I used to say th- I used to say this a lot without even thinking of politics. But what do you Im- what do you think of when I say pink? <laughs> breast cancer before <laughs> before the elections in the philippines right when you see, when you see pink breast cancer yeah uh because pink is related to breast cancer and then women have known how to advocate for themselves they have the pink ribbons and pink balloons and pink t-shirts uh and they have raised lots and lots of funds that have funded all these clinical trials that have now improved survival rates for cancer yeah. for breast cancer mm, that's... we don't see the same thing for the other cancers unfortunately mm, that's true like in my in my specialty we have brain cancer gray <laughs> is the color for brain cancer yeah. that's so dull oh. like no one likes to see the color gray uh and, and there's not as as much uh noise around it uh, in terms of funding uh when you compare the two uh to breast cancer I see. so uh you could see how those two conditions and the clinical trials just because we have more robust trials with those two conditions how the outcomes have improved significantly improved mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the other cancers that maybe do not have uh uh a lot more options or clinical trials available for them. So uh, for me, that is, uh, you know, if you ask about the importance of clinical trials, it's outcomes. Yeah, I see. That's yeah. great news, though, to hear that 90 yeah. and 80 um, percent survival rate, rates. if you will. So how do clinical trials work? And, and did the operations of clinical trials change during the pandemic crisis? Yeah, so... Those are two different questions. Yeah. If I forget the second question, remind <laughs> me. Later. It's going to be a follow-up question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, forget, Marlon. Right. So it's, I, I always also have to say, and I tell my patients these as well, uh, you know, we take for granted the drugs uh, that are FDA approved that you can go to CVS or, or Walgreens or Walmart or Target Pharmacy. Uh, all those drugs have been through clinical trials, uh, and and uh, based on uh, the I forgot what pharma stands for P H R M A uh, Pharmaceutical Association of America, uh, you know it, it takes about fifteen to seventeen years wow. to develop a single drug. Wow. So that's a very long time. We're trying to reduce that time right now with all the initiatives that's mm-hmm. going on, and I think your podcast is. Uh, very highly related to all of us, mm-hmm. and all of us is directly result of the Precision Medicine Initiative, right? So that initiative is trying to reduce that time, uh, the 15 to 17 years. Some people say 12 to 17 years. I've heard others say 8 to 17 years. Regardless, it's a lot of years, yeah. especially if you get diagnosed with a disease. You can't wait eight mm-hmm. years, even if it's you know eight years. You can't wait eight years for a drug. Uh, uh, so it takes that much time and so much money, mm-hmm. like almost to the tune of $300 million for one drug. Oh. And I've seen estimates that goes up to $2 billion wow. for one drug. And that includes the cost of everything. Right. Like to develop one drug. That includes the cost of the failed drugs, uh, you know, the cost of uh, obviously the human factors and, and uh, human variables yeah. uh, and everything related to laboratory. So lots of time, lots of money. Uh, uh, for clinical trials mm-hmm. because of this, because of the phases. So Mindy's question was uh, how do clinical trials work? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So we we look at targets in the human body. So we have, we may have molecules, we may have proteins that uh, may correlate to a disease. Uh, and the scientists who have worked behind the scenes will try to figure out a drug 
that can hit the target. I'm just trying to to make it really simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they do the the pre-human work first uh, of clinical trials, mm-hmm. uh, looking at you know first defining that target. Mm-hmm. Second is developing a drug or a molecule that can hit the target, uh, and then they will do the preclinical trial testing uh, first in vitro and then in vivo or in other words in test tubes and and uh platters mm-hmm. and then in animal studies before we even start the clinical trials in humans mm-hmm. uh when we go to the human phase of the clinical trials that's uh you, everyone uh, i'm sure a lot of you are familiar with the phase one two three and four trials yeah. right uh, phase one trials is just looking at drug efficacy if this drug is effective Sorry, sorry, I take that back. It's looking at safety. No, uh, it, we don't really not care if it's efficacious, but the real goal of a phase one trial is to look at safety. Uh, that we can safely give this molecule to a human and not kill the human, right? So, so that's phase one. Phase two is when we start looking at efficacy. So we know that this drug is safe at this dose. Does it work? So that's that's the basic question. Phase three is when we compare the drug to standard of care. So that's, you know, we already have treatments for breast cancer. We have adriamycin and cyclophosphamide as a, a combination drug that we use for breast cancer. That's pretty standard. Uh, so that's the standard of care. Now we've developed this other drug. Uh, just uh, oh, I'm not even going to make up a drug. So is this drug alone uh, equally as effective as the standard of care? Is it better if we add it to standard of care? Uh, so that's that's phase three, comparing it to standard of care. It's very important also to mention that in phase three, uh, or maybe we will we can talk about this later uh, about uh, placebos. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of the concerns uh, that people have about clinical trials is placebos. Uh, technically, there's no placebo in cancer, and I can sp- explain myself later. Uh, in an- in any cancer studies, there's technically not a placebo arm. Because uh, you will always have the standard of care regardless. We cannot not treat the patient. That's unethical, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to make that clear maybe when we talk about barriers, if we're going to mm-hmm. talk about barriers. But for now, uh, phase three trial is just comparing the uh, the new drug or maybe a new dose of the drug or maybe a new uh, formulation of the drug. If you were giving it IV before, we're going to look at how to give it orally. If that works, at least uh, equivalent with the standard of care or better than standard of care. And then phase four is after it has been approved by the FDA, phase four is just looking at post-marketing studies and seeing if uh, there are any side effects that uh, we may not have noticed during the trials, uh, just to continue evaluating the safety and efficacy of the drugs. That's that's why it takes about mm-hmm. 17 years. Yes. Uh, uh, all those things just to get the subjects uh, to get through those clinical trials. So my follow-up question, is based on what you just said. Are the did the operations change during the pandemic crisis? It did, it did oh. in many ways. Uh, so uh, especially during the early parts of the fun- pandemic, uh, uh, where patients are not even coming to the hospitals at that time. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not talking about two weeks. I'm talking about months uh, mm-hmm. uh, that patients were not going to the hospitals. That most of uh, the uh, clinical trial evaluations or appointments or evaluations are done online, which 
uh, when you talk about clinical trials, it's it's not really a safe way to do things. Uh, you really need to be able to assess patients face to face or in person at least. Uh, so that's one uh, the barriers that that the organizations have set up to protect the patients. Right, we've set up those barriers, but we're really protecting the patients so that they don't go to a hospital and and contract uh, COVID in the early phases of the pandemic. Uh, the other barrier is the patients themselves. Uh, and even now, a March, we're in March of 2022, uh, that, that there's still some hesitancy in some patients, uh, you know, maybe being uh, around hospitals, medical centers. Uh, I don't know how true that is, uh, but, but there's still some hesitancy. Uh, but definitely the pandemic has affected uh, clinical trial participation and, and uh, oncology care or cancer care in general. Uh, my biggest fear is during the past two years, uh, maybe outside of the clinical trial conversation that we're having right now, is uh, how many patients have missed their screening appointments? Uh, and is that going to lead with an increase in diagnosis in the next couple of months once those patients start to come back and have their screening tests done? Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. So, Marlon, um, our audiences may also ask, uh, what are the potential benefits of participating in a clinical trial? I always start with uh, you know, the, the uh, altruistic <laughs> uh, reward, mm -hmm. if you even call it a reward. If it's a reward, then it's not altruistic anymore. <laughs> but, but the altruistic benefits of being in a clinical trial is that uh, you're providing data, you know, you're providing information so that the next person who may get this condition mm -hmm. uh, will have more options, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So so you're contributing to that. And it's, it's, it's for the benefit of humanity. Okay. Uh, when I talked about the phases of clinical trials, there is a... Uh, an ethical question on, uh, I am blanking on the term right now, a therapeutic, what was the word that we use? Uh, therapeutic misconception is that patients think that when they sign up for a clinical trial is that it's for them to get better. But remember, we talked about the phases of clinical trials. Phase one is only looking at safety. Uh, so if they think that they're getting into a clinical trial to get rid of the cancer, mm it may be a side benefit of being in the trial, but really what we're evaluating for a phase one trial is safety, safety. right? Uh, uh, so uh, it, it, really, uh, it, it really is more an altruistic way of, of contributing information uh, so that we will have a lot more options. But in doing that, you may have some benefits, not necessarily guaranteed, obviously, uh, that you know this particular drug or regimen or combination or... Uh, maybe uh, 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 an imaging technique mm -hmm. or radiation or whatever it is uh, will be beneficial. So let me ask the dark side of the question. What would be the potential <laughs> risk of participating in clinical trials? Yeah, so there are many, <laughs> uh, depending on uh, the interventions yeah. that they will sign up for, obviously. Even if we have done the animal studies, right? Uh, and I could talk more if we have time about you know, how do we even figure out a dose? Uh, so with animal studies, you start with the smallest dose and then you increase, slowly increase the dose until it gets, I'm overly simplifying it. It's, it's not that simple. 
but you slowly increase the dose until you see uh, adverse events in our animal models. Mm -hmm. And then when you start in humans, you start at 10% of that dose that started the adverse events in animals. Mm -hmm. So it's you go back to the smaller dose when you started in humans, just to make sure to be really, really safe and then make sure uh, uh, that uh, we're taking, you know, the different biologics, you know, biological conditions uh, into consideration. Uh, but but there are still those side effects that may come up uh, mm -hmm. that may or may not be expected based on the uh, pharmacology of, of the drug or the intervention. Uh, so there's there's those side effects. Uh, there are other maybe psychosocial side effects uh, that that. Uh, uh, patients or participants may have uh, being involved with the clinical trial, uh, a lot of ethical issues, uh, especially now with genetics and genomics. Uh, mm. uh, it, it just opens up. And then obviously there's that one that, that the human subjects or IRB always talks about is uh, uh, confidentiality mm. and patient information, personal protected information uh, that uh, may be out there. Although I, I don't... <laughs> Uh, I, I don't want to scare people not to participate in trials because of all that. We have safeguards, mm -hmm. but obviously uh, nothing is 100% safe, right? Nothing is 100% safe. So we need to make sure that uh, we are informing all participants of the risk uh, when they sign up for a clinical trial. So Marlon, uh, for any of our interested audiences, uh, how can they participate in a clinical trial? If you are a uh, a savvy <laughs> uh, online looking online, uh -huh. uh, then there's clinicaltrials.gov. Uh, so you could put in the condition that you're looking for a clinical trial for. If you've already heard of a drug, let's say CNN or Fox News have talked of mm -hmm. a drug, and and you you want to take advantage of that drug and you want to know more about that, then you can either type in the drug or your condition. Mm -hmm. uh, and clinicaltrials.gov is really as a repository of all the clinical trials internationally, not just in the United States. Uh, but sometimes uh, you need to filter, and there's going to be a lot of information, so you will need. Uh, a specialist mm -hmm. uh, in that condition to actually look through those studies to, just to help filter uh, what what may be uh, appropriate for you. Uh, not only in terms of the trials and the drugs, but also in terms of what's closer to you. Mm -hmm. So if I'm I'm in LA, I'm in Los Angeles, or uh, and and if uh, a trial is available in uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center in Texas, uh, am I willing to make that trip to be part of that trial, mm -hmm. or is it? may be available at UCLA, <laughs> uh, you know, which is next to me. Uh, so we need to consider all those things when looking at clinical trials to clinicaltrials.gov. Uh, and again, again, let's say if, if you're comfortable looking online, yeah. uh, there's going to be a lot of other websites out there. I cannot guarantee uh, <laughs> the contents of those websites, but I can guarantee clinicaltrials.gov because that is definitely vetted by the government uh -huh. and then the, the experts actually are looking into that. Uh, and then there's your healthcare team. Mm -hmm. So always ask your healthcare team. There are hospitals that have navigators, patient navigators. So ask them, ask your physicians, because uh, they would know how to refer and where to refer you uh, for those clinical tri trials uh, that's within your area. Or if there's one that may benefit you that's outside your uh, your immediate uh, area, then uh, 
they should be able to refer to you as well. Sometimes uh, even NIH, even if they're not yeah. near that, sometimes just because uh, some patients they, I don't want to call it desperate, but if they're right. let's say it's in St. Louis and they live uh, let's say here in Florida, but that is the only place where the clinical trial is yeah. being implemented. Sometimes right. they go and fly in, don't they, and and stay there. They do. They do. And and uh, yeah, if, if cost is a barrier, mm -hmm. then the clinical trials, because they need the patients, right? Mm -hmm. They need the participants to be able to get the data to show that their, you know, their drug is effective, mm -hmm. uh, that they will cover those expenses. And I can tell you for sure, one, one place that I know of that does that, mm -hmm. it's a government facility in Bethesda. We all know the NIH, the Clinical Research Center, the NIH. Uh, so any study that is provided by the NIH, if it requires travel to Bethesda, then they will pay for the airfare and the hotel for you and, and your uh, caregiver. Uh, so that uh, uh, those are uh, parts of uh, uh, the, the protocols that are written uh, to be able to accrue or get more subjects and participants to participate in the trial so that we could close the trials early and find out if drugs are effective or not. Yeah. yeah. You know, I used to work at City of Hope here at Duarte, California. And yes. um, uh, patients would come with rims and rims of papers and say, doctor, here are some <laughs> new drugs. For right. is that, would this be effective uh, for me? And sort of that. Stuff. But right. anyway, uh, I, I read that most patients, adult specific, specifically, uh, do not participate in clinical trials. Why? Why so? That's uh, you know, that's the million-dollar question, right? Uh, like I said, if we could get the adults to participate, then we probably would have better outcomes for the other cancers as well. I mentioned the pediatric population earlier, and and the participation rate in pediatric patients is higher, and I mentioned why. Mm -hmm. Children's hospitals. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's not a lot of freestanding pediatric clinics that treat cancer in kids. If you are, if you have a, a child with cancer, then you go to a children's hospital close to you. And those are the academic medical centers for kids. Uh, so they offer the clinical trials. When you compare that to adults, not everyone, and then I'll use the examples of where I live, right? Not everyone will go to UCLA or the City of Hope. We have private offices, private clinics, private oncologists uh, that may not have those options of clinical trials, although many of them will refer to this big academic medical centers, uh, but, but not... Uh, a lot of those uh, uh, freestanding oncology clinics uh, will refer, will be able to offer clinical trials. So that's number one, just the availability of clinical trials for adults uh, because of uh, just the sheer number uh, of centers that we have. Uh, second is uh, a, a lot of the barriers that, that we are, we've seen and we still are seeing. Uh, I just need to say one word and it'll exactly know what I mean. Vaccines. <laughs> Uh, a lot of people still are not taking the vaccines, right, because of that distrust or mistrust uh, mm -hmm. with uh, uh, authorities, uh, even healthcare authorities. So we see the same in clinical trials that they don't trust the process. They think that they're guinea, pig, guinea pigs mm -hmm. uh, that we're experimenting on. Uh, and that's why I want to make sure uh, to let everyone know that, you know, these drugs go through a rigorous process, which I have already explained earlier, going from preclinical to phase one, two, three, and four, mm -hmm. uh, before we even approve them for use in humans. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the barriers, not as common, uh, but I hear it frequently, fairly frequently, is I don't want to participate in the clinical trials because I will be assigned to the placebo arm. Mm -hmm. 
right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I said that I may go back to this, so thank you for asking that. Uh, so in, in, in cancer, uh, there's no placebo arm technically. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, we cannot not treat the patient just to see if this new investigational drug is working. So patient may get a placebo or may be in the placebo arm, mm -hmm. but they're still getting the standard of care, yeah. whatever the standard of care is for that particular condition, right? Uh, and then the other patient will get the intervention or whatever mm -hmm. the experimental agent or experimental treatment, whether it's radiation or whatever it is, uh, uh, with or without the standard of care. Mm -hmm. Uh, so there, we don't just leave a patient hanging. Like you're yeah. in the placebo arm. Sorry, we're not going to give you anything. No, they'll get the standard of care regardless. Uh, uh, at least in in the oncology field. Uh, so the placebo arm should not be an issue. But like you said, Mindy, uh, there are patients who would come with, uh, you know, pages upon pages of information, and they say that I want this drug, and if I'm on this clinical trial, I want to make sure that I get the drug, and I'm, I'm not in the placebo arm. Uh, and that will turn them away unless you can guarantee them being in the therapeutic arm, which defeats the purpose of the protocol and and uh, uh, breaks some ethical <laughs> uh, issues that we have uh, in terms of blinding studies. Uh, there's care delivery system issues as well. Mm -hmm. uh, in network, out of network. I'm not going to mention, uh, you know, which networks have a lot of clinical trial, which networks doesn't. But if you have an insurance that uh, does not have a lot of clinical trials available for your condition, uh, then you have to go through hoops just to go to another hospital that may be able to offer you that clinical trial, right? Because you just happen to have the wrong insurance. Uh, so that's that's an issue as well. Uh, Cost is an issue, and uh, and still a lot of people think that clinical trials is a last-ditch effort to save them. So they'll say, like, I'll try every standard of care first, and if none of it works, then I'll go clinical trials. But unfortunately, though, that's not that's not what that's not how we should think. Like, we should think clinical trials upfront, plus because uh, again, we've we've looked at these drugs, we've studied these drugs, so. Uh, if you're part of a phase three trial comparing it to a standard of care, then uh, uh, there might be benefit to you upfront that you may have missed if you waited until the very end before you sign up for a clinical trial and by that time it might be too late. So I'm going to ask the last question, Marlon. <laughs> Uh, what advice would you give cancer patients or any of our viewers and listeners related to communicating with their doctor about trials, clinical trials? So, and I always have a props when I talk to patients, like, I can't find a pen right here. Mm -hmm. Write down your questions. Uh -huh. Like, don't be afraid to ask your providers and write down your questions. Why do you need to write it down? Trust me, write it down. Because when you go see your doctor for an appointment, the doctor will ask you a lot of questions. And by the time it's your turn to ask, you would have forgotten all your questions already. So make sure you write your questions before coming to your appointment so that by the time when the doctor, when the provider asks you, do you have any questions? As a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> like, see this list? What is this drug? What is the clinical trial for this? So. Don't be afraid to ask ask those questions, mm -hmm. uh, and and also don't be ask don't be afraid to ask for a second opinion. Mm -hmm. It it uh, it will not hurt them. In fact, if I'm a provider, uh, I would love for my patient to ask me to get a, if uh, I could refer them to another provider for a second opinion. It is your right as a patient. It is your life. Mm -hmm. 
right? It is your life. Uh, you're making a decision for yourself. So you always ask for a second opinion. Uh, uh, and then that's very acceptable. Some patients are afraid that they might hurt their their provider's feelings if they do that. Uh, that's not really not true anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so ask, write your questions, ask, uh, and ask. <laughs> <laughs> And that is all that we have for this episode. Right. I want to thank our guests, Dr. Marlon Garzo-Saria and my co-host, Mindy Ofiana, our director and producer, Radmi Cahudo, Caro Robles, PNAA Chair for Communications and Marketing, our advisor, PNAA Foundation President, Nancy Hoff, and our executive producers, PNAA President, Dr. Marijoy Garcia-Dia, and our PNAA Executive Director, Carmina Bautista. Join us here every Wednesday on Rise Up. Until then, keep on rising. See you next week. <laughs>